the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible. And, of course, this being Tough Question Tuesday, um, I'm inviting you to call 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And, of course, it may seem like a simple enough question to ask, is the Bible true? Um, but, again, it's a fairly complex answer. In what way is it true? And so before we went to the break, we were talking a little bit about um, a podcast that Joe Rogan did with um, a Jordan Peterson. So I'm going to try to get around to watching that podcast. But again, if you'd like to join me, it's 303 303- 873-1935. There, there are a couple of headlines that I might be able to get to. But again, in keeping with this whole idea about is the Bible true, we talked about that the Bible encourages people who read it to examine their own beliefs and then to examine and check and evaluate spiritual claims for truth. And where we can check biblical claims against verifiable truth, the Bible proves itself accurate. So if we use normal, if you will, um, channels like history, archaeology, science, and philosophy have shown Scripture to be factual and consistent. This correspondence between various forms of evidence, I think, is a major advantage that the Bible has over the so-called scriptures of any other faith system. In other words, it really, when the Bible talks about Jerusalem, there's really a Jerusalem, or Damascus, there's really a Damascus. And so, again, um, there's several different ways of thinking about this. And so, it's been, when, when we talk about history, archaeology, science, This correspondence has been a major deciding factor in converting skeptics and non-believers to faith in Jesus Christ. So again, whether or not the Bible is true is a separate question from whether or not a particular passage is literal or metaphorical or... prose or poetry or wisdom literature. It's reasonable to say that a phrase or a statement is true, even if the truth isn't presented in literal terms. For example, if a person says during a heavy rain, it's raining cats and dogs, 
The statement is true. It's just not literal. It's an idiomatic expression that we understand. Now, in, in the sense of we use idiomatic expressions that require interpretation, but given a culture, we usually understand what we mean by it's raining cats and dogs. So the same principle applies to John's words about Jesus, where he says, look, the Lamb of God, or more literally, he looks at Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And so if we ask and we answer the question, well, is the Bible claiming that Jesus is a lamb? Well, in one way, it is claiming that he is a lamb, a literal lamb. No, in what sense? In the way that the Bible represents lambs as an innocent sacrifice. Now, again, people can ask for clarification and be told based on Old Testament imagery that, no, Jesus isn't literally a woolly farm animal. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the divinely chosen sacrifice to redeem the world. In other words, Jesus is in both type and reality the sacrifice. So the very fact that John is using a metaphor or there's figurative language, that doesn't make the statement untrue. And so does the Bible allow for metaphorical language? The answer is, of course it does, just like we allow for metaphorical language in our day-to-day conversation. It's good to remember that the Bible is 66 separate books, and each of them contains different types of literature, mixing literal, literal and figurative language. So I'm going to suggest to you not just simply that the Bible is true, but that the Bible itself claims to be true, and all of the evidence supports the truthfulness of the Bible. So, again, this combination of internal consistency, connection to the evidence, relevance in our experience, makes the Bible unique. And like many religious works, the Bible claims to be true. Maybe the most famous passage, 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And so, unlike other so-called religious texts, the Bible repeatedly and emphatically supports the assertion that the Bible is true. And of course, that's a different question than why should I believe it? But 303-873-1935, that's the number. If you want to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. And of course, 
If it's been a while since you've called, hey, now would be a great time. I have open lines. Friendly Jim is standing by to pick up the phone. It's 303-873-1935. And um, back to the Christian headlines, just very briefly, my friend who I, uh, I'm going to be interviewing next week, uh, Dr. Jim Dennison, we're going to have him on the program, and he's come out with a new book that we're going to be talking about, about the coming tsunami, which I think that you're going to find very, very interesting. 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. And uh, in a interesting... Um, <laughs> there's been a um there's been a lady who in Finland has been literally criminally charged for affirming a bible for for she might be facing prison time for a bible affirming tweet which she made about eternal life and I talked about her a few days ago, um, Pavi Rasanen, who's a member of Finland's parliament and a former um, interior minister. She's charged under the country's hate speech law with incitement against a minority group for statements that she made about LGBT individuals. Criminalization of belief. It's here. 1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gina Tracy. 303-873. I'm looking at a story that I can't believe, but I'll try and get to it. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Susan, welcome to the program. Hi. I just wanted to ask you about how to get materials from Alan Huth's writings? Sure. Alan Huth is the founder and director of the Ezra Project. <clears throat> do you have um, the ability to go online? Do you have a computer? No. No, um, I'm handicapped and can't afford very much, so... No, it's no problem. So do you have the ability... Well, obviously you're calling me. Can you... Do yeah, you want I have it? a telephone. Yeah, you have a telephone. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, I think I have a phone number for Alan. Are you ready? Yes. I think it's 303-775-8521. Um, let me see if I've got one other place. But it, it's, yeah, it's called... Oh, 303, are you, are you ready? Yes. 303. Okay. 369-8001. So I think you can try both of those numbers. 303-775-8521. Well, with two numbers, how could I go wrong? Huh? With two numbers, how could I go wrong? Well, I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that one of them will lead you to Alan Huth. Well, if it won't, I'll ring your bell again. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Okay. I was just 
very interested in his work. Yeah, he he has some fun, fun stuff, and uh, he's done some great work over the years. And I love, love, love their um, their mission. Yeah. So I did say three zero three three six nine eight zero zero one. That should work. That should work. Okay. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much. Hey, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 303-873-1935. Now, before, I was talking about the Finnish lady who faces possible prison time. Her name is Pavi Rasanen. She was a member of Finland's parliament, former interior minister. And one, she, she was literally accused of hate speech. She had a tweet where she included a verse from the Bible and criticized the Finnish Lutheran Church for, quote, elevating shame and sin to a subject of pride after the denomination supported Pride Week. Now, what Pavi is doing, she's basically making that statement, you know, why should we celebrate what the Bible condemns rather than condemn what the popular culture celebrates. She could be sent to prison if she's found guilty, although prosecutors are asking the court to fine her, according to BBC. On Monday, she told the media she was honored to be defending freedom of speech and religion. She said, quote, I hope that today it can become clear that I have no wish to offend any group of people. But this is a question of saving people for eternal life, unquote. The other charge against her was a 2004 article where she wrote describing homosexuality as a psychosexual development disorder. Now, I want you to pause and think about that for just a moment. In a very real sense, if we're asking and answering the question, the kindest way of describing homosexuality is psychosexual development disorder. But if you ask and you answer the question, what does the Bible say about this? And is it in fact sinful? Is homosexual behavior sinful? And is the solution to the problem of sin repentance and then a willingness to turn to God and trust God? She said, it never occurred to me that my own writings would one day be illegal. So Rassanen's defense is supported by our friends at Alliance Defense Fund International. Now, obviously, we've worked with Alliance Defense Fund here locally, but Alliance Defense Fund International is helping to represent her. Her attorneys have, quote, urged the court not to impose their own theological interpretation of Scripture on citizens by criminalizing the traditional Christian view on marriage and sexuality. A guilty verdict, according to the Alliance Defense Fund International, would, quote, appear as a de facto criminalization 
of the Bible verses tweeted by a politician. A conviction would set a new European low bar for speech standards, said Paul Coleman, who's the executive director of Alliance um, Defending Freedom. So, 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program and a number of different news outlets. And my friend Jim Dennison is also uh, pointing our direction back to Ukraine. I talked a little bit about this yesterday. 303-873-1935 is my number if you want to join me on the program. But um, obviously, yesterday and over the weekend, things continue to ramp up as people are asking and answering the question, does Moscow plan to invade the Ukraine? And by the way, one of two things really is true. Moscow will invade the Ukraine or won't. And of course, if if uh, the Russia or Russia is going to invade Ukraine, make no mistake about it. They've already drawn up the plans. They have 100,000 troops massed at the Ukrainian border. The United States Defense Fund and uh, Defense Department announced that up to 8,500 American forces have been placed on high alert for potential deployment to Eastern Europe. And as has been reported in a number of different outlets, the State Department has ordered families of U.S. embassy personnel in Kiev in the Ukraine to begin evacuating. The British embassy in Ukraine is withdrawing some of its staff members. And of course, um, Russian President Vladimir Putin reportedly views Ukraine as part of Russia's sphere of influence rather than as an independent state. So again, if we're asking and answering the question, if the Russian president sees Ukraine as a part of Russia and the pre- the president of Russia is demanding that NATO promise to never allow Ukraine to join its alliance and wants alliance troops currently stationed in the former Soviet bloc countries to be curtailed or to be to be reduced and then eliminated, if you will. And so the Associated Press reports that since Russia's demands are non-starters for NATO, a deadlock has been created that many fear can only end in war. In other words, as they ask and answer the question, is there a diplomatic solution? Now, in the United States of America, there seems to be a great division over, well, not not should we help Ukraine, the debate that's taking place in the United States of America is what would constitute effective support for Ukraine. Now, obviously, NATO, the National Alliance, is sending military presence into the region with member countries sending warplane ships, promising more troops. European Union has also promised some aid, but what's going to happen? Well, we're about to find out. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Juris. A couple more stories, but again, Tough Question Tuesday, if you'd like to join me, 
800-873-1935. That's the number. Yesterday I talked about wars and rumors of wars. But uh, today, um, what's interesting, we were talking a little bit about Ukraine and Russia. And, of course, Russia denies that it's planning an invasion. And they're claiming that the Western accusations are a cover for NATO's own planned provocation. Now, what's interesting is they're not planning an invasion, although they've surrounded Ukraine with 100,000 troops in the north, in the east, and in the south. Now, again, I'm not suggesting even for a moment that Canada is going to invade the U.S. or that Mexico is going to invade the United States militarily. But if Mexico amassed 100,000 troops on the southern border, I think the United States, for the most part, would be thrilled if, in fact, the purpose of massing the troops was to prevent the illegal immigration and occupation of people flooding the border. So instead of a wall, you have a wall of troops that says, no, you can't go in. Now, again, here we are with Russia saying, we're not planning an invasion, even though we've got 100,000 troops all over in on the northern part, the eastern part, and the southern part. Moscow is citing the Western response as evidence that Russia is the target, that Russia isn't the instigator, but that the United States is the instigator. And so U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken met with the Russian Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov, last Friday and said that the United States would give Russia a written response to Moscow's proposals this week. Observers say that this might delay invasion, at least for a couple of days. Now, 78% of the people in Ukraine, the adults, identify as Orthodox Christians. And by Orthodox, I mean Russian Orthodox. Now, by contrast, think of this, 78% of Adults in Ukraine identify themselves as Orthodox Christians. Only 63% of Americans identify themselves as Christians of any sort. So this constitutes some 35 million Ukrainian um, Christians. Now, again, I want you to just think about this. I want you to imagine a country that's slightly smaller than Texas but with over 35 million people. If if you're a Christian, and by the way, if you're in the Ukraine and you ask and answer the question, how does my Christian faith, my Orthodox Christian faith, inform my beliefs about what's happening? With Russia Now, remember, Russia sees Ukraine as part of their sphere of influence. When Ukraine was part of the former Soviet Union, um, the state, by and large, as a socialist state, was for the most part 
antichrist, if you will, anti-Christian. There's is a worldview of philosophical materialism. There is no God. Um, but according to the Russian constitution, there's a freedom of religion. So we could also ask the same question of Americans who face a growing animosity against biblical morality and who may face ever-increasing persecution for simply believing what the Bible says is true. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, it says that God will judge between the nations, that he shall decide disputes for many peoples, that they'll beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. So the Bible envisions a time when it's the Lord God himself who will judge between the nations, that he'll settle the disputes. Wouldn't it be interesting if Jesus were here and we ask and we answer the question, Jesus, how would you deal with the difficulties between Russia and the Ukraine? How would you deal with the difficulties between Taiwan and China? How would you deal with the difficulties between the Democrats and the Republicans in the United States of America? Skeptics are likely to ask what difference does our faith make in the meantime? Jim Dennison, my friend, writes, The Bible is filled with promises of God's presence and provision for those who trust in him. At the Dennison Forum, he writes, Psalm 91.3 says, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said of this text, No bird of paradise shall die in the fowler's net. The psalmist wrote, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, that's Lebanon, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appears before God in Zion. He's quoting Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. He says, but these promises come with a condition. God's word says, don't be anxious about anything. Philippians 4, 6. Frederick Buckner writes that Paul was evidently in prison at the time and with good reason to be anxious about everything. However, the apostle continued, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Buckner says, quote, he does not deny that the worst things will happen finally to all of us, as indeed he must have had a strong suspicion they were soon to happen to him. He doesn't try to minimize them. 
He doesn't try to explain them away as God's will or God's judgment or God's method of testing our spiritual fiber. He simply tells the Philippians that in spite of them, even in the thick of them, they're to keep in constant touch with the one who unimaginably transcends the worst things as he also unimaginably transcends the best. Buckner continues, quote, Come hell or high water, they're to keep on asking, keep on thanking. Above all, keep on making themselves known. He does not promise them that as a result they will be delivered from the worst things any more than Jesus himself was delivered from them. What he promises them instead is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the quote. The worst things will surely happen no matter what. That's to be understood. But beyond all our power to understand, he writes, we will have peace both in heart and in mind. We are as sure to be in trouble as the sparks fly upward, but we're also in Christ, as he puts it. Ultimately, ultimately not even sorrow, loss, death can get us there. It's Gino Geraci. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You still have time, time, time to call me, 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. As we have this final segment on our Tough Question Tuesday, 303-873-1935, we're talking about Ukraine. And my friend, of course, Jim Dennison, who I'm going to be uh, interviewing um, next week, and we're going to broadcast that interview he basically says, let's pray for war to be averted in Ukraine and for peace to rule. He says, let's pray for wisdom for our leaders and for those with whom we're negotiating or there we're negotiating. Let us pray for protection for our soldiers, embassy personnel, those who are in harm's way. And of course, let us pray for Ukraine and for the Ukrainian brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their anxiety into intercession and to confront their fears with faith. When they do, they will, in Philippians 2.15, shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Skeptics will see the powerful difference that Jesus makes in those who trust him, not just when their lives are easy, but especially when they're not. And of course, let us join them by asking God to redeem our present challenges in ways that deepen our faith and glorify the Lord. The Scottish minister, John Bailey, prayed, quote, let me use disappointment as material for patience. Let me use success as material for thankfulness. Let me use anxiety as material for perseverance. Let me use danger as material for courage. Let me use 
criticism as material for learning. Let me use praise as material for humility. And let me use pleasures as materials for self-control. Let me use pain as material for endurance. Can you think about maybe making that prayer your prayer? Again, 303-873-1935. We, of course, think about world peace. And, of course, we are to pray for peace. But if we ask and we answer the question, what does that mean and will it ever happen? World peace is a beautiful ideal, but one that will only be realized when Jesus returns. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says, He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Until that time, peace throughout the world will never occur. You know, people talked about the Pax Romana of of Rome. Has there ever been a time when there has been no global conflict whatsoever? I don't think so. Jesus said that until the day of his coming, like I said yesterday, and we talked about a lot, there will be wars and rumors of wars, and that nation will, in fact, rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. There's really never been a time in the history of the world that somewhere, someone wasn't fighting with someone else. Whether it was a world war involving dozens of nations or a a local drama, difficulty, conflict involving tribes, clans, men have always been at war with one another. So promoting world peace, even though we know that human beings, no matter how hard they try, will never be able to bring it about, that's actually not a biblical concept. While giving to charity, promoting tolerance, sharing are certainly appropriate for Christians, and we do so in the name of Jesus, we ultimately, we ultimately, we ultimately understand that it is the Lord Jesus who brings peace. 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935, until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is the Lord. What are the chances of true and lasting peace? But again, does that mean that we should just simply give up? Not according to the writer of Hebrews, who says, make every effort. Well, in Hebrews 12, 14, it says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness 
without which no one will see the Lord. And of course, we're to make every effort to live in peace with all people and be holy. And like I said, the writer of Hebrews says, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And here, remember, holiness doesn't mean perfection of conduct. It means a willingness to be separated to God for the purposes that God has ordained. So as Christians, we promote peace instead of conflict. We remember that by our own actions, complete peace will never be achieved because of, well, we live in a world that's broken and we live in a world full of fallen human beings. But in spite of all of that, our faith remains in the Lord and in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And so until he comes to renew the world and bring peace, peace will remain a little bit more than just a dream. Our most important task is to convince others of their need for a savior. This is what's so interesting to me about the popular culture in which we live. Because in the popular culture in which we live, if you suggest that there is such a thing as sin and that Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin, you might be met with a yawn or you might be met with something a little bit more combative. But in Romans 5, 1, it says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The journey to finding peace, embracing peace, experiencing peace begins when we discover that we've been justified through faith. That the real conflict, the most appropriate conflict that we have to address is that human beings are in rebellion against God. That God has sued for peace in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's the way we promote world peace. We bring the world the message of peace by reminding them that they can have peace with God, that they can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul means when he says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God so here's Paul preaching, and he says, hey, be reconciled to God. And of course, he wrote, if you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Revelation 3.20, you know it. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. God wants to be reconciled with you. This is Gino Dracy. Thanks for joining me. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.